Hello and welcome to the iFell Overcast. I'm your host, Oliver Broadbent, and this is my regular digest of matters, engineering, creativity, and practical philosophy. For episode 11 in this podcast series, I have got my colleague, Jack Bardwell. We both work here at the Useful Simple Trust. Jack is a graphic designer, and as you probably know, I work in engineering education, and we've collaborated over the years on many engineering education uh, projects. Jack bringing his brilliant design eye to our work, bringing things to life and bringing general joy to the projects that we work on together. So it's a real thrill to have Jack on the show. Jack, welcome. Thank you. Hello. And I thought I would start by dropping you straight in and asking, what is it like as a graphic designer working in a group of, say, 60-odd engineers? So I should just say they're not odd engineers. I mean, approximately 60 <laughs> engineers, some of them. Yeah. Um, it's been quite a, quite a humbling experience, I think, and in a lot of ways, and it's given me a lot of, it's been exciting, it's given me a lot of different perspectives on design. Um, I think that um, the graphic design world, or each, every design sort of sector is, gets very insular in, in the world that it um, inhabits. And uh, I think just being uh, next to people that have a very different approach to what is effectively the same thing which is problem solving in a creative way and um, yeah our industry can be quite uh, egotistical and uh, become quite obsessed with style and um, everything that goes around the actual designing and I think being amongst engineers they have quite a logical approach to design and problem solving um, which has really uh, influenced the way I design. And sort of process-based design as well, which I think um, is the way my sort of brain functions, mm. sort of writing things down as a sort of flow diagram, almost. What, what do you think the origins of that perhaps more egotistical design approach are? Um, I think that... Uh, well, I can I mean, ask the question another yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, we, we were sort of alluding to this earlier on, this yeah. idea of um, what is it do you, that you make? Do you make something physical? Mm. Uh, yeah. And often, and we talk, we talk about the ideas of the engineers, you know, they're associated with shaping the physical world. That's in their creed. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, yeah, we talked about um, how your role, how it has value in society, like visible value. So I think there's a sort of, Example used quite often in graphic design of um, usually when talking about actually when talking about freelancing and charging for work that, that if you have a leak you get a plumber in and they fix that leak and you see the value of the work that they do straight away and uh, with graphic design and things of the sort of plastic arts it becomes a lot less tangible what your actual thing is that you're producing because sometimes it's an emotional response that you're trying to create and it's quite hard to measure. And um, so I think this is reflected in a lot of things and ways that the industry has sort of evolved. And graphic design specifically, um, people feel they need to express their worth through other things, which is which are less, um, also less tangible, like the style of the way they dress or mm. how they express themselves and the culture that goes around it. This, this relates to a, a theme from one of my favourite authors that I've mentioned a lot on this podcast, Matthew Crawford, in his book, The Case for Working with Your Hands. Mm -hmm. He talks about the, sort of the impact of society, 
of moving away from kind of plastic jobs, as in jobs where you create, you actually shape the world mm. into virtual jobs where you're not actually doing anything. For the plumber, their success is on whether the tap works yeah. or not. For the brand designer, maybe the success is less tangible and so they have to find other proofs mm. of, of, of success. I'm not, I'm not just saying graphic designers, it could be for yeah, other yeah. sorts of consultants, knowledge workers. Yeah. Maybe there's something that the engineer benefits from. Yeah, I think so. I think their, their work, if their thing doesn't work, a building falls down. And I think that's quite a tangible result and uh, therefore there's less need to prove themselves in other ways and that's kind of inspiring. I tell you something that's interesting from my perspective working with you, I think in our working partnership often what, 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 one of the things that you bring to it obviously in, 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 in the graphic design and the visual identity behind the work but also ultimately it's down to you to make the things that we're designing for engineering education so mm. there's a sort of irony there actually mm. with us it's the other way around yeah. and actually find you much more engaged with the physicality you know what are the resources going to be like how are we going to print it how are we going to build it mm. how are we going to uh, uh, facilitate and join these things together and it's it's interesting that in our office mm. it's the graphic design crew who have really pushed the importance of having a workshop where yeah. you make things and not the engineers. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's ironic. True. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that is. Well, maybe there is something about, albeit the engineers that we work, we we work with, uh, civil and structural engineers, they're consulting engineers, mm. and so they're not actually doing the building themselves. Yeah. Um, so obviously they're working with stuff. As you say, it's critical. It doesn't fall down. Yeah. It's absolutely critical. Uh, but. I would say that your work isn't so virtual as no. you initially set out. You're, you're constantly looking at materials. There's all yeah. the work that you guys are doing on the great recovery, which yeah. is all about. You know, yeah, I think that's another thing that yeah, I've learned here is the importance of, uh, of materiality and how materials communicate. So what is a material saying? And again, I guess that's my way of looking at it, is I'm constantly bringing it back to communication. And, how is every single element of what you're designing communicating? Because it is communicating, because yes. you cannot not communicate, yeah, which is a quote from someone I can't remember. Um, and if you haven't considered it in the process, then you're missing a trick of communication. Um, so yeah. Sticking with the theme of engineering and, and communicating it for a while, um, a few years ago I, I went to some events by an organisation called uh, Super Collider. I'll put the link to their stuff on the show notes. Um, but they were they were working with scientists to show how um, their, the sci- to help scientists communicate their scientific process, mm. and they would create interesting, beautiful, stimulating installations around the research process. And I was sitting there thinking that the people around us are doing so much amazing work that, and analytical stuff, which is actually quite beautiful to look at, the, the permutations of the designs, the, the ways people think, and all of that is hidden. Yeah. And I really feel like there's a sort of communication design um, story that needs to, or effort that needs to happen there, yeah. that should happen to kind of expose that yeah I think that's another thing of different disciplines working together Mm -hmm. is that you always see something that one discipline sees as trivial and the other the other one sees as fascinating I think that's why it's a 
good for that sort of collaboration to happen is because you'll pull out uh, yeah pull out things that you wouldn't necessarily focus on otherwise um, yeah <laughs> all right so let's uh, um, let, let's uh, drift towards our next uh, theme which is uh, which is uh, creativity and I think I find it weird when 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 I know we've discussed something yeah that I'm like yeah, I don't know, maybe for less, less, less natural, uh, like a natural conversation. Well, it's, it's often the case with these podcasts, we have a, have a discussion before about what we might want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And then when, when we get onto a thread, I'm like, oh no, we've got to stop talking about that, so we save some, yeah, save yeah. some kind yeah, of yeah, it's true. It's true. Some juicy fun. content. But yeah, I'll just be more, I won't look out for your cues of... <laughs> uh, of where we're going because I think I'll be better at having actual insight rather than that. So far, so good. Some feedback, live feedback on, but I think it's going well so far. Okay, so great. We'll, we'll great. carry on with it. All right, so um, uh, creativity. Um, mm. And um, you said to me earlier on that you thought we think we ought to redefine what we mean by creativity or who it's for. Yeah, yeah, I think we're quite, a lot of people are hindered and sort of held back by the idea that creativity is painting and drawing and mm. these visible expressions of creativity. And I think it's much more than that in a more exciting way as well. I think it can be the tiniest of um, sort of output, basically, of tiny, tiny actions mm. that can express creativity. Yeah. Um, I always just try and define it as when you can see the workings of a personality or a human. Like, you can see that that is their way of doing something mm -hmm. based on some logic in their head and their logic, mm -hmm. seeing their logic mm -hmm. is like, I think that's amazing when you do see, when you see someone's logic and the more unique that logic is, yeah. the more you deem it, the more creative you deem that because you're like, wow, I've not seen someone's brain like that before. <laughs> So it's, that's really fascinating. So there's a few, for me, there's a lot in what you just said. There's, there's the idea that creativity is a, a, a sort of dis inherently human mm. quality and actually even just the, the thought process itself might be creative. Mm. And you, you, you sort of allude to the idea that it's defined by difference. Yeah. So that is, you know, it, it, you've got if there's a pattern there in the thinking which is different from somebody else that's yeah because everyone's way of thinking is completely unique yeah um, by definition yeah. then everyone is yeah creative and it sometimes and it has to be the output of that mm. we all we will we all think mm. um, but I think it's the well, the creation and creativity is the the output of that thought into a way that communicates to someone else again. I'll bring it back to communication. Yeah. But it's not about the painting. Like my one of my favourite artists and designers, Solar Wit, which I constantly reference in my projects. Um, his work was instructional. So if you buy a Solar Wit piece or there's a Solar Wit exhibition, you have a piece of paper as a certificate of the piece and it has instructions with paint by numbers on how to create the artwork and it's he's had the idea he's had the process he's put down his thinking and even the act of giving it as an instruction that is also yes. a way of thinking we can go on forever but it doesn't it's not the fact that he's an amazing painter but it's very abstract work it's that his work specifically you can really see 
it's his mind arranging stuff and it's like the workings of his mind it's like formula it's like it's quite mathematical in a way so do you think there's a, there's a joy that comes from seeing that in other people yeah yeah oh definitely I get a real buzz from it I actually get like uh, I don't know if you know have you heard of ASMR so it's um, automated uh, that was me uh, shaking my head saying yeah. no <laughs> for listeners yeah um, let me remember it um, autonomous Meridian response, I think it is. Um, here's Autonomous sensory meridian response. Um, and you might get it, a lot of people get it from listening to live music mm-hmm. or um, when you get tingles up your spine, you say yes. spine tingling stuff, you have an expression yeah. for it. Um, hair standing on it. Yeah, hair standing, all that stuff. And a lot of people have to have like a really epic moment for it. I get it from someone being an expert in their field or being creative and chatting about something excitingly and like accessing that part of their brain when they're like in flow and I see it I get tingle response from it so I get a very physical that's amazing reaction from that's amazing. other people's creativity basically so then do you think you try and seek that out yeah sometimes yeah but it's weird because there's like a whole there's a whole weird thing on YouTube of like people doing ASMR videos and Sometimes it's just people, people get it from weird things like uh, really close noise to the mic and like yeah. little scrunching bags and paper and stuff like that. I get it also, well I don't get it from that, I can't get it from the videos, it doesn't work. Mm. But people, I, look, I get it also if like a shop attendant is male or female, it's not sexual, um, wrapping a gift for you really well and they put a lot of care into it, yes. put a little label on yeah. and they like give it to you and it's really like well done and stuff, I get it from that as well. Wow, so you're, 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 uh, you're, you're um, seeking homing in on this, um, and, and you, well, you, or, or you, you're acutely attuned to mm. this sort of radar. For, yeah, and it goes missing every so often. Yeah. I don't really get it for a while. And then I start, and then, like, yeah, today a production guy was talking to me on the phone about how we could construct this piece for a, a, a school graphics corridor, and I was asking about the material and how long it would last, and, yeah. stuff, and he's such an expert and takes such pride in his work, the way he's describing it. I was going to take to the hand in a while, so it's good, good to know it still exists. If I lose that, I think I'll get really upset. <laughs> so there's, and, then, and there's two bits of it. One is the sort of, the a kind of pure, uh, the kind of unique thought structure. Mm. And then also this sort of expert, mm. the mastery. Yeah. Of their, of their art. Yeah, and their passion, like when you see their passion. Right. See someone being really good at what they do and really excited about it. It's that side of things as well. Because you can get, there is the flip side to that as well, isn't there? You see people who are just kind of depressed by what they do. Yeah, and it is draining. Yeah, yeah. and that's sad, that's sad mm. to see. Mm. So do you think that um, there is a role for people, whoever, to play in actually revealing to everyone their inherent creativity is of releasing it. I think so. I think it's about people finding what that is. Mm. And a lot of people, I, don't, I think there's value in acknowledging it. Yes. Because then that will sort of, I don't know, I just hate to stop people saying that it's this, I'm not creative. Because mm. I think it's, it can be a bit dangerous, really. Because it means, and the thing is, I think a lot of people will be expressing creativity and then just not acknowledging it. They'll just be, can be, they can be creative in a conversation, they could be making people laugh. Making people laugh, that is a completely creative act and 
Uh, there's something really interesting there, mm-hmm. uh, which I wanted to uh, test with you in your in, in your sort of understanding of, of, of creativity mm-hmm. is the role of the person that's listening, mm-hmm. and, and you, you, you bring it up in mentioning laughing. Mm-hmm. Because if the person says a joke and the kind of which is a creative act, it might be a juxtaposition of meanings or uh, unusual objects in a familiar circumstance. You know, mm. um, it's quite you know, funny. Yeah. But if the other person doesn't laugh, yeah, is it creative? Yeah. If if a tree falls in the forest and no one no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Um, what? <laughs> and because. Um, when, when there were the, when there were the ex- in the 1960s, psychologists started doing experiments around psychometric tests around creativity, mm. and they would do the classic experiment. They get people to come up with, say, as many different uses as they could in two minutes for a paperclip. Mm. And so, what's interesting there is, in order to test how many of the interesting uses they got, a third person, a third person would have to say, "Well, was that use creative? Is that use creative? Is that?" Mm. There's a sort of yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's hard because I think what I said earlier was that okay, it's the thing, it's the the process in the mind that, but it has to be out, it has to be created in order for someone else to observe ex- it, expressed or communicated yeah. to use your word. Yeah. Because it sounds to me like you were you were talking in a sense around novelty, mm. novel, original combinations, yeah. thought patterns, whatever, plus some sort of mm. transmission of it. Yeah, but I think novel can be very minute, mm-hmm. like just in a very, very subtle way that the same idea come that if two people have the same idea, same idea for a book and then executed it, or even just having the same idea and writing it down on paper. Although it's the same idea, there'll be nuances in it. Yeah, it can't be the same, it can't be identical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But then that's interesting because I think in that case, context is really important as well. Mm. Because I always think that people are like, you can't have new ideas. And I say, well, it's a new idea if I put it in a different context. It's the same as a toilet being put in Duchamp doing a toilet in a gallery. It's a... It's an existing thing, and it can be an existing idea, but if you're using it in a different context, it's completely different. And that comes back to the sort of who's receiving it thing. Yeah. The receiver is the context in a, lot of, in a lot of design, I think. Interesting. They, so they are part of the creativity, in a sense, they're part of the uh, novelty. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't use novelty. And, I use novelty, yeah, big novelty, because it makes it sound like, oh, well, that's unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't mean it like that. Mm. No, it's a good, it's a good question because I think I still think if I was alone in a forest and I was arranging some twigs into a pattern on the floor because I was bored, that would be a creative act. I'm the observer, so there's always an observer. Mm. I'm the observer. Maybe that's where it comes in important to recognise that it's creative because then, yeah, you have to observe that it's creative in order for it to be exciting. I don't know. I'm loving the metaphysical uh, <laughs> direction this is, this is going in, but uh, I want to switch to a, a more physical um, 
take on creativity. Um, cooking. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, you have a theory that cooking is a bit like the design process. Mm. Oh, I think it is a design process because, again, I think cooking is a creative act but also a very design-based act. And what I, what I find interesting about it is a lot of the design process when it comes to graphic design or whatever is going on in your heads or in your sketchbook in your own little way of doing it. Um, whereas this is a very physical, bare bones version of the design process where you literally see all these decisions being made. And the bit you can't see is why they're making the decisions. Yep. So you're like, okay, I'm picking that tomato and I'm chopping that and I'm frying that tomato first because I want it to get this flavour before I put the garlic in, which will burn if I put it in too early. And so all these decisions are going on in the person's head. So you can't see that, but you can see all the options laid out in front of them. You can see them do these actions. Um, you get the smells from it, you get the noise from it. I don't know, it's a very dramatic version of the design process, which I think is yeah, exciting. It should be used for something. I think we should do a teaching tool that uses cooking as a. You could do. You could. Um, you could. There's a brief. Yeah. Dinner by yeah. seven o'clock. But yeah, more than that, it's dinner by seven o'clock. That. Um, what experience do you want the person to have at, at the end of it, or do you want them to come away saying um, what? What if you know your client well enough? What do you want them to? What memories do you want this to evoke in them? If they've been to India, do you want do you want to evoke that memory of them being in India once? Yeah. Or so there's a, there's a much like deeper thing of that that end goal of, of what that is, and if you want, if you wanted to think about it in that. So there's researching an underlying need yeah. for them, and sometimes it might be practical. Like yeah, they're really hungry, and they're allergic to nuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's all constraints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've got. I mean, I'm thinking about sort of design process stuff here, but um, you, there's, there's the process then of kind of researching options because you, I mean, when I cook, I have a, a sort of limited sort of uh, set of things that I remember, but I've got quite a large range of recipes that I'll get from recipe books, from about five yeah. different books, yeah. which I won't remember all the ingredients, but I'll know, oh, you can go down this pattern yeah. or that pattern. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And those techniques, you build up techniques. And I think there's often have this sort of thing with people of uh, sort of working for a recipe or like freestyling. Yeah. But I think you wouldn't you wouldn't play a piece, you wouldn't become a musician without ever learning other people's music. Yeah. And like the best musicians I know spend most of the beginning of their time learning an instrument, repeatedly mm -hmm. playing other people's songs because you understand what the structures are, what to communicate that emotion, yeah. I remember that this song used this chord progression. It's yeah. the same as cooking or reading. You, you couldn't write a novel without having read hundreds of books. Uh, and there's and there's the it, and the music you learn your scales and jazz, you know, jazz musicians learn their scales and then they build up out of that. So it's like in, in cooking, I seem to have read recently. I think there are five classic French sources, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chess will be able to do that. Yeah. Hollandaise, bayonnaise, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. To perfection, and, mm. and then there's and then the creator's creativity about the combination of those yeah. changes of infinite possibilities within that. So there's so there's definite use of patterns. Yeah. In the cooking. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think sort of bringing back to the graphic design process. 
I think in anything I do, I suffer from not wanting to copy for long enough. Mm. So like, as soon as I could play guitar, and I'd be like, I could probably play that. So I start playing it, and I'm like, yeah, I could, I could work out, I could work that out. Like now I've got the basics, I could work it out, so you don't. Right. And through that lack of copying, I think you suffer because you have less to draw from. And I think even in graphic design, I didn't copy enough because as soon as I knew I had the tools, I was like, I want to make my own stuff rather than copying. Do you think in, in, not, in, in, in not copying it means that you don't achieve mastery of the skill? What's, what's the consequence of not sticking with it for long enough? Um, yeah, maybe mastery. I think it just gives you a different... Again, a different framework. So I think if I, say for graphic design, if I'd copied loads and loads and loads and loads and loads over and over again, maybe that's where I'd have this like intuitive, more of an intuitive knowledge, that's this aesthetic intuition, which I don't know if we talked about it in here, I talked about it before, which was, I feel like I lack that in certain regards and therefore build up these, how to describe it? Are they limitations that can be articulated? Yes. And communicated through words that so that I have a reason for it looking like it does rather than oh, because it feels good. Sure. Let, let's if, if we can come on to that in just a moment, I just yeah. want to explore this bit just a little bit longer around the um, uh, the impact of limit, not the use of limitation, not the benefit of limitations, but actually the limits of limitations. Yeah. And those might be, for instance, speculate. Um, I'm not very good at making pastry. Okay. Right? Pastry for me is something I have to sort of look up mm. and go through the brand. I know this, I usually mess something up. Yeah. And it's uh, and and it seems to be one of those things. If you mess it up slightly, it really kind of flies off. Goes really badly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and so for me, it's like a little bit of a. It's not just a process. It's not like making a white sauce, which I can just go and do and not think about. Okay, white sauce, fine, no problem. Yeah. So in a sense, um, I don't easily move through that creative step. So it creates a barrier. So I don't then explore the world of yeah. quiches or pasties or yeah. or whatever it happens to me. It's almost like there's a cognitive block mm-hmm. around that space. And I guess it might be the same as you know, if you if you know how to use a piece of software, yeah. you know how to use uh, Illustrator. Yeah. Uh, you you don't let your uh, lack of use of the tool get in the way. If if it's the first time you turned on Illustrator, you'll be thinking all the time about wh- where to pick up the tools. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a real balance with that because I think up to there's a sort of I don't know you may maybe tell me better what the graph would be. But in terms of how much knowledge you have of something, at the beginning really increases the possibilities. And you start to be like, okay, oh, things can be made like that. And mm. It really expands your possibilities. And then I think it gets to a certain point where they become a hindrance and you know too much and it stops you dreaming of the things that might push that technology because yeah. you think you know its limitations and you don't try and push them. Whereas if someone comes along and says, I guess that's where clients are important as well. If someone comes along and says, you know, this has to be this slim. Yes. As a bridge, I'm thinking of engineering now. Yeah. And instead of just saying, oh, you know, it can't be that slim because of this, and you go, no, it has to be. 
and then that really forces you to agree, okay, let's rethink the limitations of this technology, or can we use a different technology to try and achieve that. So now we're in the realm of the uh, limitation as a possibility. Mm, uh, yeah, so yeah, naturally I think that that leads to that. I think I always see them, that, that as a limitation as being a possibility that forces you to push something, whether that be the technology or the material or the anything really. Um, I think it potentially reduces the degrees of freedom mm. and so you can then focus more on what you're going to do in the directions that you've got available to yeah. you yeah. and then you can give more focus to that definitely no definitely it's, it is that focus and I think that's what I'm doing in the design process all the time is sort of you're categorising things in order to limit limit your focus I guess because at the beginning it's just like a whole world of possibilities and endless possibilities especially with working in 2D because you can make it look like anything um, and so there is you have to sort of apply these limitations to yourself um, so we, we've had some quite animated conversations in the past around uh, the idea of a jig a creative mm-hmm. jig mm-hmm. Um, this is another Matthew Crawford idea it comes out of his other book, The World Beyond Your Head, and um, the idea that the, 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 the carpenter creates a jig to help them very quickly create straight edges, and they don't have to, they don't have to worry about holding everything straight, the jig does it for them. Mm. And then we also use his example again back in the kitchen. The chef arranges the kitchen in such a way, it's a physical jig, so the ingredients around them so they don't have to think about the order in which things mm. need to go into the pan because they're lined up already so they can use their brain more efficiently yeah and maybe limitations are jigs yeah that we go okay well the page can only be so large yeah. or the palette can only be definitely this this these five tones yeah yeah and i think that's when yeah when exciting design emerges is when you do when the, how interesting the jig is and whether the jig can tell a story because <laughs> I think you know you could have a jig that is and you might have many jigs and one of and many of them you don't talk about but if if the jig can be what <laughs> I don't know how to explain this okay so in terms of like sustainability so your client really wants to talk about how sustainable they are as a company and if you if your jig for your project is that everything um has to be made from reuse of materials. That's going to create a very strong aesthetic. Yeah. That everything, and then you can make that jig even more refined and say, not only does it have to be made of uh, reuse of materials, they will have to come within a one mile radius. Um, they have to come from the site in which everything's being built. And you refine this jig until it forces an aesthetic. And that aesthetic communicates sustainability. So it's about finding finding a jig that communicates what you want it to communicate. And then uh, this brings us on to the idea of the limitation then somehow providing a, uh, a means for you to talk about the merits mm. of the idea. Yes, I mean, when you say jig, effectively this is what in the graphic design world you just call a concept. It's, it's the... It is the way in which you're communicating an idea and sometimes that is to be able to sell it 
to the client so that they understand where your thinking is coming from. And maybe if, you, if it has been an intrinsic, felt like an intrinsic process, it's about trying to articulate why that's good. Do you think that's, do you think that's, that's fascinating? That's really, you're challenging my thinking on that. You know? I'm thinking hard about that right now. Um, <laughs> For me, almost like the jig was um, not in the output, but was a tool yeah. that comes a long way. But you're kind of invoking the jig itself as part of the. I think so. I think a, I think in a good jig. There, I, that's what I mean. I think there's many jigs or concepts or like no, let's keep the jigs. I think there's many jigs in a in your design process that you use. And, they, and, and the, 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 the one about sustainable sourcing of materials with a local radius or whatever, in many ways it's similar to, it imprints itself on the output mm. in the same way yeah. that the cookie cutter, yeah. which is another kind of jig yeah. for making re- repeatable cookies, mm. imprints itself on the dough. Yeah. Uh, so the, 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 these requirements, these necessities are are visible in the album mm. because they've left their impression. Yeah, and like and maybe maybe what's hard is that when you your motives behind something are different to perhaps what the client is. So that's when you've got you've got these jigs for creating something, but maybe it's not visible. That's not the jig you show to the client or show to. Them. Yeah, I was speaking to Bengt about this. Um, Colleague of us here, yeah. And then about like a great design being like, if you imagine this sort of Venn diagram of aligned circles, and you've got all these different, each of those circles is a constraint, and you, or a goal of what what you want to achieve. And the more you, the best design is when they're pushed really close together, so you get all of those things being hit in some way. Some get hit more than others. Yeah. Um, but then you actually communicate a different section of that to different people. So you know that your important bit is this sliver of that merging of things, but actually you're going to communicate this sliver of it yeah. to the client because that's what they that's what they want. Absolutely. Um, so you manage to hit all these things, but how you talk about it is another another thing entirely. That's that's a really nice way of looking at it. I think. Mm. And it's, a bit, it's reassuring that it means that then you can have, you can have one, you don't have to produce many different outputs. No. It's just different views of it. Mm. But it gets harder the more you, the more of those things, they're less jigs, they're more like different outputs that you need it yeah. to, yes. to do, things and, you need to do. Because I, I, th- I think for me, um, jig is about something which aids the process. Yeah. And you can see how a requirement might become something which helps the process. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, they can be they can be one and the same. But I think, yeah, what's interesting is the, with the cookie cutter analogy is that thing that your jig has to have an effect on the output. Yeah. It's the same even if it's the block that the that the carpenter uses. Yeah, the effect on the output is that it, look how symmetrical it all is, or look how consistent it is across mm. it. And that is the imprint of that jig. Whereas if it might be a jig, not to use a jig. 
in the carpal wow. tunnel sense. <laughs> so you say, you know, for this piece, I want it to feel higgledy piggledy, yeah. and I'm not going to use my block. Yeah. And that's a conceptual jig rather than a physical jig, which is yeah. <laughs> Um, tell me about your um, your career move. Yes. Um, so I'm going from graphic design to uh, do an MA in interior architecture. Um, and this is very much to do with well being here and being influenced by these design processes and the sort of uh, yeah other ways approaches, but also very at the beginning of working here a project where I was creating an award um, which was this glass um, vessel mm. uh, with a magnet and iron filings inside I remember that yeah. in the office and it was one of my first projects here but it was that's when I had this realisation about it's a, it comes back to the limitations thing where I was fascinated by the fact I had this concept which I'll explain in a minute and because the concept had something to do with materials, it designed itself. We collaborated with an amazing um, glassblower and artist so that had a lot of influence in it. But it felt like these material, material constraints really designed it. Um, and so after I'd come up with this concept, I then everything sort of fell into place and everything was communicating something that I didn't get bogged down in, okay, now, once I've got the concept, what's that going to look like? And it's not like a separate process, it's like integral to it. Um, and the, the concept of this was that um, it was the Arts and Business Award, so it was when businesses um, get awarded for funding the arts, and so it was an award for an award ceremony. Mm -hmm. And um, Meta. Yeah, and I won an award for it, so then you've got even more Meta. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, the idea was that, you know, you get a trophy and you take it home and you put it on your shelf and you forget about it and it's got no further interaction. And the whole thing with business and arts is that you can't just get a pat on the back for doing it once. The arts need constant funding yeah. to keep active and keep exciting. Yeah. And so I started thinking about materials that could do that. Like, how can you create an award out of materials that when you leave it, it does nothing, but you need interaction with it in order to make it move around. And so that when someone does take it, and maybe people won't get that exact narrative, but when they do get that award, when it's on their shelf, they don't ignore it. They remind them, they want to play with it and mm. use it. Mm. And that will remind them of the fact that they did this good thing. Yeah. And so I came up with the magnet and iron filings as a way of creating that. And then I was like, oh, I'm not just going to have it. It needs to be clear, so you need to be able to see that stuff. Yeah and well, it needs to feel uh, luxurious, so probably glass, and then, yeah, so these things like fall into place out of, out of a strong concept, basically. Um, yes, so I can really see how the, the concept is shaping yeah. everything that follows. But yeah, the question was more about, yeah, and so that made me, from then onwards, really think about how I, maybe my mind would be better applied to the physical world and materials and stuff like that, so I think that's where we're into that. Um, and also seeing that graphics are an important part, but a part of a bigger picture of public engagement and spaces. And I think, I think more and more, I think how powerful spaces are and how we behave and act. And I think 
a lot of design that I've done is about behaviour change, and I think it has to work in tandem with spaces. So I would just want another thing to be able to do that will make, I don't know, I was going to say any more powerful, that's a bit horrible. <laughs> so you want to do that as a designer? Go into another, <laughs> you want to develop a, a new area of cooking skill? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to be able to, I don't know what that would be, a new chopping skill. <laughs> So, uh, lastly, or sort of as we move towards the end of this discussion, I'd like to uh, talk about practical philosophy. Okay. And you have a sort of interesting practical philosophy. You're talking about what you do to help you think about things. Do you want to? Mm. Yeah, so I, I think I was saying that I think quite a lot of my approach to thinking about things is very uh, written, actually. Like a lot of my uh, design process is written, but also in terms of day-to-day stuff of writing lists and writing as if I'm talking, I guess, at this conversation. You have a beautiful set of notes in front of you for things that you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. And lots of arrows and sort of become these sort of flow charts of thought, um, which I imagine if you analyse, you can say, okay, actually what he's doing here is going right, it's this type of thinking, and going down is linear, and because it kind of feels like mapping out my brain. But all these sort of techniques have definitely come from uh, I think having dyslexia and having ways of ways of coping with the way your mind is disorganised and trying to organise content and reorder content so that in a, into an understandable way break content down and that has just completely led into me as a designer trying to like break down a problem, split it up find out what's doing what, what's communicating what and then, yeah, being here, I've got more drawing-based. I've like mm. got better at drawing to come up with ideas, um, because otherwise you can get quite, you can intellectualise the design too much and not actually think enough about how it's going to aesthetically look. Um, but yeah, it's still very much a, a written process with lots of arrows. I mean, that, that uh, description about the award earlier on didn't sound quite a sort of intellectual process, but a, a logical breakdown, a kind of yeah. intellectual scalpel, mm. to use the words from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, someone talked to me about that today, one of the guy, the chef, and I, was, I wrote it down because I was like, that sounds great. I'll lend you my copy. Great, it's falling apart. Great. Um, the, the, um, this idea, yeah very precise thinking to break it down into different yeah. parts. I mean, I've definitely seen that in the projects that we've worked on uh, together. Yeah. Uh, the kind of the concrete, uh, the, the, vid- the videos mm. around bridges the, the, yeah. um, and the game. I think I just really want to understand the problem. Yeah. Understand what's going on beneath the like, surface. And so it's that, it's like how can I do that understanding? But that, that awards project was, was written, it was very much a written thing. I was getting a tube from one place to another for, an, for another project to go and pick something up, I think a bit of material or something. I was an intern kind of at the time and it was just writing about it. I was literally writing that stuff that I was saying to you, like yeah. when you get an award, you just take it home and sit on the shelf. How can you create an award that blah, 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 blah. it's like, it's talking to yourself basically. It's interesting. I look, it was completely. I definitely went through a phase in my my studies, I think, where I would just write myself stories about. And mm. I'm thinking of 
chemistry, mm. and learning chemistry at school, and like there's things that I'd find really difficult to understand. Or actually, when I was a maths teacher, yeah, uh, and I had to teach these uh, solving differential equations, yeah. which is the hardest thing on the course. And I ended up just writing myself a story yeah. about, okay, so this is what you do. You take this, and the reason you take that is because it represents that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you multiply it by these two things. This has the effect of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because both sides of the equation are equal, you do it to both sides. Yeah. And then that gives you this answer. And that's important because that represents this thing, and that's what we're after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And those are the sort of techniques that I learned from, through like dyslexia of, okay, you can't remember things in this way, or you you have to create something that's going to be more visual for you or so you're like, okay, you know, remembering things. I remember my mum teaching me this sort of remembering trick where you walk down, you imagine walking, it was for me, it was down the garden path and mm-hmm. you put your shopping list physically along the space so that you can remember these really long lists. Because um, you're like, okay, yeah, the eggs are in the bush. And it's just these like visual yep. clues. Um, so I think... It's not that these I use these techniques in my design process. It's more the fact that you, the understanding that the way information is presented to you isn't necessarily the best way for your mind to look at it, and so you need to you can reorder it. You can change the way you look at this thing, and I think then that leads into other things of the fact that there was an author, the understanding that someone created it, and there. Yeah, there was a thought behind why it was created. Yeah, bring it back to cooking again. I find recipes very difficult to follow. Mm. Extremely difficult. I mean, I can you know, read the recipes fine, and none of the yeah. even if you know all the techniques, and there are yeah. some recipes that don't tell you the techniques. But if you know, no, you know, even if it's recipe, I still find it difficult. Yeah. Because what I want is I want a recipe that says to me, right, okay, say we're making lasagna. There's three parts to this. You've got to make a white sauce. You've got to make a red sauce, and then you're going to layer it up. Yeah, yeah. But they don't. They start off by saying. Put up to gas marks. Yeah, it was straight. Now it. start doing this. Now start doing. It's like a presupposed. Yeah, knowledge. you need to read through it and yeah. And arrange it. And actually, what I like to do is I like to get all the ingredients out and group them together in the order that they're going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's just an assembly job. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really, it's really true. I think. I think it's an understanding that there's a different way of doing everything as well and so you shouldn't take the fact it's come from wherever it's come from an authority or the media or anything that it's the way of doing something that someone's made this up and you can do it differently I think that's another. I think that's a perfect note on which to conclude our conversation oh, great. I have to say you know, we've, we've worked together what, for the last three or four years mm. I think I've, I, I feel like I've learned so much about you <laughs> in the last sort of 45 minutes I'm really grateful for your time and sharing all those thoughts and uh, yeah nice. it's been good fun thanks so much for having me pleasure hi this is Oliver again just before we wrap up here's a few last words from me you can find this and other episodes of the Eiffel Overcast on iTunes and now on Stitcher just search for Eiffel Overcast on either of these networks If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, then please consider writing a review. I would really, really appreciate it. You can tweet me at ifelover underscore, that's E-I-F-F-E-L-O-V-E-R underscore. But the best place to find my stuff is on my website, which is ifelover.com, E-I-F-F-E-L-O-V-E-R.com. There you'll find podcasts, blog posts, and details of upcoming events that I'm involved with. 
Finally, to not miss out on anything, sign up to my mailing list, which you can do from my website. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, goodbye.